So this past week I was at Starbucks, no surprise there, and uh, a Keystone friend walked up and said, man, I love the little video you played before the talk and like James Earl Jones doing the Lord's Prayer. I mean, that's like, that's so cool. Where, where did you guys get the idea? And without missing a beat, I was like, oh yeah, Michigan Stadium is where we got the idea. By the way, Michigan football fans, having a good year? Yes, all right. So if you've never been, basically right before the team runs out, there's this epic hype video. And James Earl Jones graduated in 55 from the University of Michigan. And so when Darth Vader gets the place hyped up, it's a good day, right? Even Ohio State fans get tears in their eyes. No, not really, but I just had to say that. Anyway, uh, we are in the fifth week of a series called The Prayer, and in it we're exploring the most famous prayer in the world. If you grew up in church, you know it as the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples when they asked him to teach them how to pray. See, they were just paying attention, and Jesus had this undeniable, incredible, and unique connection with God. And so they reasoned that we want to pray like Jesus prays. And so they ask him, and his response is brilliant in a number of ways, but it gives us a window into how Jesus saw the world and how he wants his first followers and everyone thereafter to see the world as well. And so this is what Jesus said in response to their question, how should we pray? He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, the ev from evil. So in, in this series, we're exploring six unique images that Jesus uses to construct the prayer. And I'm doing my best to explain why I think he chooses the images that he does. And so if you missed them, here, here's where we've been and where we're going. Uh, we talked about the Father, the kingdom of heaven, the name of God, daily bread. Uh, today we get to talk about forgiveness. And then finally, next week, we'll land the series talking about temptation. But what I want to argue today, as we talk about forgiveness, this is one of the most revolutionary and revolutionarily practical concepts that Jesus teaches. I'll show you one more time. This is how he says it in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, he says, uh, forgive us. Oh, actually, next slide, I think. There we go. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, or forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. It's almost like Jesus is saying there needs to be a connection between the grace and mercy shown to you from God and the grace and mercy that you extend to other people when they hurt you. Jesus invites us to leave behind what comes naturally and to enter a radically different sort of living. And in other words, an encounter with the grace and mercy of God is intended to leave us changed. So right from the start, you see Jesus saying you need to see the connection between being forgiven by your heavenly father and forgiving other people. Now, to make matters a little more interesting, Jesus offers a commentary on the concept of forgiveness in the verses that immediately follow the Lord's prayer. So he says, and deliver us from the evil one. And here's the next verse. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Okay, so far so good. Then he says this, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Awkward, cricket, cricket, right? Anybody ever read that before? Probably you did and breezed right by it. Um, and so it's like that seems a little harsh. It seems a little severe. It seems a little threatening. And to be honest, it doesn't seem very Jesus-y. Jesus, right? 
And so as I studied this week, I thought, okay, where else does Jesus talk about something like this? Because this concept surfaces repeatedly in the New Testament. What I want to do today is explore a passage that I think helps us understand what Jesus means when he says that following the Lord's Prayer. Uh, It's a passage that we actually reviewed early this year, and I want to fly through the passage a little more quickly and then spend a little more time on application because, again, it's so central to the sort of life Jesus wants for his followers. Uh, Jesus is teaching one day 2,000 years ago, and there's a crowd, and then the 12 disciples, those first inner circle of Jesus' followers are there as well. And Jesus is talking about forgiveness. He's like, when you're hurt, uh, you need to let the other person off the hook. You need to forgive the other person. And as Jesus is talking, people are probably taking notes. And Peter, the oldest disciple, sort of has a question that surfaces in his mind. And and he he needs some clarification. Because apparently Peter was in a toxic relationship. Have you ever had a friend in a toxic relationship? None of us, of course, right? Yeah. Toxic relationship. In other words, this relationship, Peter's getting hurt again and again and again again and again and again. And Peter spends enough time with Jesus to know that forgiveness is central to being a Jesus follower. But he's sort of like, okay, is there any point at which I can say enough is enough? Like they've gone too far. They've done too much. Like the forgiveness meter is now, you know, out of gas or whatever. And and so he asks Jesus a question about that, about the limits of forgiving one day. And Matthew, who was there, records the conversation for us. Is then Peter came to Jesus and asked. It's kind of like having a come to Jesus meeting with Jesus. You with me on here? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Jesus, get the forgiveness thing. Okay. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And then he, he just kind of goes, okay, seven times. And he's trying to impress Jesus here because seven was a Jewish number of perfection. It was like the number that represented God. So Peter's like, surely if I forgive this toxic friend seven times, then I will have met my obligations to forgive. Right, Jesus? And in asking the question, Peter revealed some confusion in his mind about the nature of forgiveness. And in the 20 years I've been serving as a pastor, I've come to realize that a lot of us have this same confusion. See, Peter's assumption was that forgiveness was for the benefit of the offender. That forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. In other words, when I forgive someone who, uh, who's hurt me, I'm being nice to them. I'm doing them a favor. And in fact, it's natural for us to think that way because of the way we experience hurt. It's like when someone hurts us, there's a sense that they took something from us and now they owe us something. They've created a debt in our relationship. That's why we say things like, you know, they owe me an apology. They're the offender and I'm the victim. And, and this can happen in all different areas of life, right? I mean, you might reach a spot where you said, you know, my boss owes me recognition at work because I didn't get it and now I feel like we have a debt-debtor relationship. Or maybe it happens at home and you would say, you know, I feel like my wife, she owes me respect because she hasn't been respecting me. It's created this debt in the relationship and now I need to be repaid. Or maybe for you, it's a friend who gossips about you. And then if you're honest, you're like, I feel like they owe me a restored reputation. Like, I don't even know how you would do that, but that's what they took from me. And whatever the wrong, and again, they come in all sorts of flavors, it's like we tend to be angry until we're repaid whatever we are owed. We hold on to it, we stew on it, and we begin to refine our case against the person who offended us. And we subconsciously wait for that moment where they'll sort of approach us on their knees and say, man, I need to repay you. What can I do to make it up to you? 
And we feel justified because we're victims. I mean, we were just minding our business. This person came along and slashed us emotionally or maybe slashed us emotionally and did it again and again and again. And whenever memories of, of, these, of these hurts surface, we get angry. And for some of us, if we're honest, we love to talk about the hurt, right? Because we've been hurt and we've sort of taken on a victim identity. And so when we're in a group um, and maybe it's like a Bible study or something and you're talking about some topic and it comes to the end and the leader says, hey, anybody got any prayer requests? And the, you know, the person next to you is like, yeah, my cat's going in for surgery. You know, and, and, you're, and you're like, I hope your cat dies because I hate cats. You know, that's not, you know, I'm just saying that's not very nice. But yeah, and, and some of your cat people are like, rise up. Yeah, okay, anyway. Yeah, and then they come around to you and, and, and your first thought is, you know, I, I, I do need a prayer request. Let me tell you what happened to me four years ago. And like 20 minutes later, everybody in that group is on your team. They're on your side. That was wrong. I can't believe he did that to you. That's absolutely horrible. I don't know how you move forward in life. And, and then if there's one like super spiritual person in the group and, and they, they look at you and you go, you know, you really need to forgive them for what they did to you. You're thinking on the inside, maybe you smile and nod, but on the inside you're thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. They don't deserve to be forgiven. See, I'm the innocent victim. Why should I forgive them? They're the one who hurt me. They owe me. I don't owe them anything. I think that's the emotional space that we find Peter in when he's having this conversation with Jesus. He's been diligent about forgiving this toxic person over and over and over again, but he's sort of reached his limit. He's like, I, I gotta, I mean, th this is ridiculous. So let's look at the question again. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And again, he, he's thinking Jesus is gonna be like, seven times, you got it. Nope, here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And I think Peter went, that's impossible, right? Because it's even worse than it looks. Because if you're sitting here and you're like, I got a toxic person, I'm probably on like 68 times. So we're getting close, right? And then, oh, man, we hit that. So we're at 78, we're, we're, we're done. Jesus is actually using a Jewish idiom to say, you need to forgive endlessly. Like there is no limit to the grace and mercy that you need to show other people. And, and, and again, Peter Peter would have been absolutely stunned, as you would have been or as I would have been. So Peter, if, if I put myself in his shoes, I'm standing there and I'm like, okay, I got a whole bunch of questions, Jesus. Like, how is that, how is that even possible? But before Peter can even ask the question, Jesus begins to tell him a story. And he does the thing that Jesus often does. He tells a story, and for most of the story, the people listening have no idea what Jesus is talking about. And then at some point near the end, it sort of dawns on them. Here's what Jesus says. He says, next verse, he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's basically saying, Peter, listen, you're asking about this forgiveness thing and if there's a limit to grace and mercy, you need to see this from heaven's perspective. So here you go. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So here's a king, he does business with his servants, he loans money, and then there's a day where he gets repaid. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And I grew up reading this story and I always just assumed that 10,000 talents was like $10,000. And I was a kid, I was like, that's a lot of money. Well, that's crazy. Um, here's the thing, 10,000 talents, understanding the amount of the debt is critical to understanding what Jesus is saying in this story. 10,000 talents would have been millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in debt. It was a ridiculous, completely unrepayable debt and everyone listening to Jesus would have known. 
And that's Jesus' point. So he says, since he was not able to pay, and everybody would have laughed at that, like, of course, not able to pay. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And we look at that and go, that's barbaric. That's unbelievable. But see, this is the first century. This is different than it is today. And it was pretty common for people uh, to sell off family members to pay off unresolved debt. So the king's going to cut his losses. And he's like, okay, I'll just just sell the guy's family and and that'll recover some of the debt, you know, but certainly not all of the debt. I mean, I think about my own kids and I've got four of them. And I don't know how much they would fetch, but certainly not millions. I'm just saying. Your kids probably get millions. My kids probably not so much, but that's okay. And if they're in the room right now, I love you. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So he continues. The servant fell on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything, okay? I just need more time. To which Jesus first audience would have gone, more time ain't gonna help, right? This is like the Hail Mary pass. There's no, this is an empty promise. And he, as you're reading the story, you say, I wonder what the king, I wonder what the king's gonna do next, I wonder what he's going to do next. And what happens as the story continues is it gets really, really bizarre. Here's what he says. The servant's master, the king, took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Canceled the debt and let him go. Millions and millions and millions. You go, wait, wait, why wouldn't he just like renegotiate the debt or lower the interest rate on the debt? I mean, really, he cancels the debt? And I think the servant in the story is shocked because he's like, I, I don't deserve that. I mean, I borrowed the money. I can't repay the money. You're just going to cancel the debt? To which the king would say, it's my debt. I can do whatever I want with it. You ask me for mercy, I'm going to cancel your debt. And if I'm Peter at this point, I'm like, Jesus, number one, you're doing it again. You tell the story. I have no idea what's going on. I'm not a king. I don't have a servant. And I don't have any money. So I don't know what this has to do with me. But Jesus isn't done talking yet. Check this out. But when that servant, so the same servant who just got forgiven, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii was a bit of money, but certainly a repayable debt and nothing compared to 10,000 talents. Continues. He says, he grabbed him and began to choke him, obviously transformed by the incredible grace he has just been shown, right? (laughs) Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Now check out the other servant's response. He says, that servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. Wait a minute, we just heard that. Oh yeah, he just said that to the king. And I will pay you back. And he could have. Just give me a little more time and I'll make it right. And he's like, okay, you know, that's a reasonable request. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. And, and, and what's crazy about this is, is it's like, I'm not sure you can repay a debt from prison in the ancient world, right? But at this point in the story, nobody likes this guy. I mean, he's just received this huge amount of grace and mercy, and now he's getting stingy with somebody else. It doesn't even make sense. The story continues. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master about everything that had happened. Continues. He says, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? It says, in his anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. Great story, Jesus. Until he should pay back all 
he owed. And I think Peter is standing there going, he did it again. I don't understand what he's talking about. I ask him about forgiveness or the limit of forgiveness. And he tells me this story. And then I just kind of see the wheels turning in Peter's mind. I mean, what is Jesus talking about? He said, the kingdom of heaven is like, and if that's the kingdom of heaven, then the king must be, oh, yeah, the, king's, the king is God in the story. And if the king is God in the story, then I'm the, oh boy, right? I'm, I'm, the, I'm the, oh, he just answered my question. And just so Jesus makes sure he understands it, here's what Jesus says to the crowd that's now assembled listening to the story. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Let's go have lunch, right? And Peter is sorry he brought up the subject, but he understands. You know, God has forgiven him a debt he could never repay. And in response, he needs to endlessly forgive people who wronged him. He understands, but he's thinking what you would think or what I would think if we were standing there. Uh, time out, Jesus. That's not fair. You see, I've already been injured. I'm already a victim in this. They hurt me. And now you're telling me if I don't forgive them, God's coming after me too. Oh, great. You know, thanks for the encouraging words. I mean, isn't that, isn't that harsh? And what I want to do with the time that remains is I want to explain what I believe is going on in this passage and in the passage right following the Lord's Prayer. I think Jesus would say to each of us, we think that forgiveness is primarily for the benefit of the offender, but the reality is forgiveness is primarily for your benefit. Don't fall into the victim trap. I think he would say your future hangs in the balance and this is such a big deal that God basically threatens us into forgiving the people who hurt us. And here's why. God knows that to refuse to forgive someone will hurt you. In, in a sense, to, for, to refuse to forgive someone when they hurt you, it's like pushing the self-destruct button on your life. And here's what's crazy. It's not a self-destruct button that detonates a bomb. It's a self-destruct button that allows bitterness and anger to take root in your soul and begins to corrupt you and your relationships from the inside out. In fact, to refuse to cancel a debt that someone owes you is to chain yourself to the hurt and then pull it with you into your future relationships. And if you think about it, you've seen this. Maybe not in yourself, but you've seen this in friends. And so as unrealistic and insensitive and ridiculous as it may sound, your Heavenly Father knows you well enough to say to you in no uncertain terms, in a very threatening sort of way, you have to forgive. You, you have to forgive because if you don't, if you don't, I'm coming after you because I love you and I want the best for you. And if you refuse to forgive, it's going to mess with your life. You know where I used to see this all the time? Before coming to Keystone, I was a student ministry pastor for 15 years. And it will not shock you to know that I spent a lot of time across the table at Starbucks from teenagers, right? And generally, when they would reach out to me, it was because they were in sort of a puddle of mess of their own making. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm listening about whatever the, the reason for the coffee was. And they're telling me about what happened and, and all this. And all the while they're talking, I hear the voice of my counseling professor from Calvin Seminary in my head. And he's saying, wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Because as someone unpacks a hurt, eventually they tell you what really drove them to do what they did. Because a healthy person wouldn't do what they just did. And it was amazing how many times it came back to unresolved anger with mom and or dad. 
your dad did this, mom did this, and da, 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 da. And all of a sudden, we're not talking about whatever the presenting symptom was. We're talking about the root cause. And, and it's like, my mom hurt me, my dad hurt me, and so now, now I'm going to do things I wouldn't otherwise do because I need to feel better just for a little bit of time. And they've chained themselves to anger from their past and they've pulled it forward and they end up in a lot of trouble. I've also seen it with couples who come and they're struggling in their marriages. And he tells me about what she doesn't do or does and he tells me, or she tells me about what he doesn't do or does. And, and again, wait for it, wait for it. If you're ever with me and I'm just really quiet and looking at you, I'm waiting for it, just so you know. <laughs> now my trick won't work. But anyway, wait for it. Wait for it, wait for it. And eventually one of them will say, you know, in my old relationship, I mean, when I, when I was married before, when I was dating this guy before, when I was dating this girl before, man, this happened. And, and, and all of a sudden you see like there's a, there's a chain there and they pulled it into their relationship. They didn't mean to, they didn't want to, but they did. And it's, it's, so their past is actually wreaking havoc on their present and corrupting their future potential for health and happiness. It's like they embraced being a victim because they felt justified because they were justified. But it's a trap. And that's why your heavenly father says to you and to me, I understand your pain, but you must forgive or it's going to hurt you and hurt people you love. You can't move past your past until you deal with the issue of forgiveness. You know why else Jesus had the audacity to say what he did to Peter? Because Jesus knew that in a few short months or years, he would be hanging on a cross and that when he died, all of us would lose our right to refuse to forgive others. It's like when Jesus died for you, your heavenly father already knew you. He knew about all the times you'd make promises to him and not keep them. He knew about all the times in your life where you'd completely ignore him. He knew all the times you wouldn't thank him for interceding on your behalf. He knew exactly what you'd be like and he decided to forgive you anyway. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. And the good news at the heart of that is that if somebody will send their one and only son to die for you, you never have to wonder what they think about you. They are for you. Your heavenly father is for you. And in the shadow of the cross, we're commanded to forgive one another. But I would argue in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness becomes possible. No matter how deep the pain, no matter how long it's gone on. Because in the shadow of the cross, we lose our right to refuse to forgive. And so Jesus looks at his first followers and he says, I want you to take the same mercy that you've been shown and show it to other people. Uh, Jesus, they don't deserve it. I know they don't deserve it. Mercy is undeserved grace. That's how it works. Uh, just like I've canceled your debt with God, I want you to cancel the debt of other people who have hurt you. They don't deserve it, I know. I know. Don't you know what they've done, Jesus? Yes, I do know what they've done. I also know what you, I know what you've done. I don't know. If you're like me, um, I want to have it both ways. I want mercy for me, but I want justice for everyone who hurts me. Ever have that? Is that just me? I need to schedule time with a counselor. If you know, go to let me know. Right, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, we don't just want mercy. We want mercy and justice. We want mercy for us and we want justice for everyone else. But that's not how it works. It's like Jesus says to us, I've shown you mercy. You must show mercy to others. In fact, our big idea puts it this way, kind of memorable. I was kind of proud of it. It goes like this. Forgiven people, forgive people. Forgiven people, forgive people. Jesus, what, what you're saying is because of what God has done for me, I need to do that for other people. Yeah, Jesus, it's hard. I know it's hard. Jesus, that's going to disrupt all sorts of things. I mean, Jesus, I'm a victim. I know you're a victim. But becoming a victim doesn't help you. But if I, but if I forgive them, then I'm, I'm saying what they did to me was okay. No, you're not. Because forgiveness isn't primarily about them. Forgiveness is about you. That's why your heavenly father says to you in no uncertain terms, for your sake, you must forgive because in forgiving, you'll, you'll set yourself free. Before we go, um, I'm aware that when we come around this topic, it surfaces all sorts of emotion. And I want to just give you three practical ways to think about forgiveness. If, if for you, this is, this is a, not the end, the amen here isn't the end. It's a start of a, of a thought process. Just three things about forgiveness that I think have been really helpful for me and others as we sort of wrestle with what to do with people that have hurt us. Number one, always think of forgiveness in terms of canceling a debt. That's what Jesus did every single time. And in order to do that, you have to figure out what they actually took from you. Because you get down the road and it's like, I hurt generally, so I, just, I should just forgive generally. Like, I forgive my dad. And, and you'd say, uh, okay, I already forgave him, so why are, we, why are we thinking about this again, right? But I think to really, really forgive, you have to figure out, you have to literally think to yourself, what did he take from me? He took my childhood from me. He wasn't there when I needed him. That's what the debt really is. And so you have to identify the debt before you can forgive the debt. Second step is to cancel the debt. And to be clear, and th this is worth writing down if you're a note taker, forgiveness is not a feeling. I don't feel like I want to forgive him. That's never been part of the equation. Forgiveness is a decision. If you wait until you feel it, you'll never do it because they don't deserve it. Forgiveness is a decision. You say, I choose to cancel the debt. You don't owe me any longer. And just for fun, I was working on this this week and I had a thought. It might not be right, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Okay, it goes like this. Um, you can forgive somebody and not tell them that you did. I cancel that debt. I'm done with it. Now, I think it's better if you do tell them. It'll be better for your relationship. But if you can't bring yourself to tell your dad that you forgave him, just don't tell him for a while. Just make it between you and God. God, I'm canceling the debt with my dad. It's done. That's number two. Number three, refuse to hold the debt against the person again. And, and the tension with this is, of course, you will still remember the canceled debt. You'll still remember the hurt. But when memories trigger that hurt, you must refuse to pick the debt back up again. You say to yourself, I'm done with that. I'm moving forward. It's a dead issue. They don't owe me anymore. And friends that have taken this journey from the darkest, deepest hurt will tell you that over time what happens is the memories of the hurt will still surface, but there's less and less anger. And over time, what you find is that these memories will actually become memorials to God's grace in your life. In a weird, unexpected way, a very negative thing becomes a faith-building thing. 
So friends, forgiven people forgive people. That's, that's the message Jesus told his followers that day. Forgiven people forgive people. It's the path to a better life from whatever hurt you bring into this place today. And it's the way out of the victim trap. You stand and I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I pray for friends who brought unthinkable hurts into this room this morning. And if we heard the stories, we would all agree it was wrong and it was wrong. But I pray that, that by your spirit, you would just invite them to move forward to cancel that debt. Not because the offender deserves it, but because they deserve it. They deserve to be free. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us when we did not deserve it. And I pray that for a whole bunch of us, these ancient words of your son would become a key that unlocks our hearts, our future, and our potential. So we thank you once more this morning for Jesus who came among us to show us the way and the truth and the life and to invite us to follow. It is in his name, the name above all names we pray. Everyone said, amen. amen. Friends, grace and peace. We'll see you next week.